you're thinking, what's the new equation? It's about building trust and delivering sustained outcomes that make change for today and tomorrow. Welcome to our Women in Leadership podcast and vodcast series sponsored by PWC. We're broadcasting today from the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. I'm Haley Wooden, Executive Editor of Business in Vancouver, and it's my pleasure to host this three-episode series. It will feature inspiring female leaders from different backgrounds and sectors on topics that are important to all of us, leadership, mentorship, ESG, and EDI. And across the series, our guests will be in conversation with me and experts from PwC. Episodes run from March 8th to 10th around International Women's Day on March 8th. And today's episode looks at leadership and EDI. Here's our conversation. And we're very pleased to have Tira Fraser with us. She is the founder and lead executive of Escuello Air, making her the first Indigenous woman to launch an airline in Canada. Tira is also the founder of the Indigenous Lift Collective and the founder and former leader of the Raven Institute. Welcome, Tira, and thank you so much for joining us for this series. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today. I'm sure I could talk to you for hours about your career trajectory and leadership, but maybe to get us started, Tira, I'd love to hear a bit about what experiences, people, places, goals, whatever it may be, have really shaped or influenced your leadership style. Oh my goodness. Well, uh, <laughs> I think, right? Really big question. But we're influenced by every moment. Uh, we're influenced by every human being, by every conversation, by everything that we that we learn. And so what's coming to mind as you ask me about that question is, um, is I suppose uh, being, you know, first disconnected uh, from my Métis heritage and then uh, finding my way back to being reconnected is a is a really big part of who I am and and uh, a proud part of, of who I am to uh, to be that and I talk about how that um, connection with uh, relational worldview uh, or an indigenous worldview you know that connection to the earth each other something greater ourselves is uh, you know certainly uh, shaped me. I was born in Hay River, Northwest Territories, grew up in a small town and, um, you know, was a young single mother and uh, with very little education and, and very little access to, to opportunity. Uh, when I decided to go on a trip to Africa, that changed everything. And then I decided that, um, you know, the guy flying the airplane had the coolest job ever and and wanted to do that and uh, made that happen. And, you know, that's led to my entrepreneurial journeys. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know if there's anything more you want to know, but uh, you just uh, ask away. I would love to follow up on that reconnection or connection piece. I think often employees feel like maybe they can't bring their heritage or their culture or things that are really significant to them to the workplace. And that can be a bit of a balance. Can you talk a bit about the theme of reconnection within the business or workplace context and how you balance that? Yeah, I have, I have a lot to say about your first question uh, and probably won't get to the others, but uh, we are whole beings. This 
dominant worldview that we're all um, swimming in uh, has us thinking that um, we are we have a work self. We don't have a work self. We are one. We're one human being. We are a mental, emotional, um, spiritual, physical whole. Emphasis on whole being, and I think that it is critically important that we reframe uh, our relationship with what belongs in the workplace and what doesn't belong in the workplace. Our whole selves needs to belong everywhere we are. My daughter, um, who I uh, work alongside at the Raven Institute, you know, she talks about young people and that her vision um, of the future is that, um, our young wisdom holders are holding no part of themselves in exile. And that's what we do uh, or, or what we think we have to do, or we, we've been told we have to do is to leave parts of ourselves in exile in the workplace. And um, I don't buy that one little bit. And in fact, any workplace that is um, still subscribing to that um, doesn't actually understand equity and justice at all. And, you know, I'll give you a small example uh, that I think really fits with what you're asking me here. When I started my master's degree at Royal Roads University, uh, I was there full of, full of all kinds of um, imposter syndrome. And I don't actually use that anymore. I don't believe in that either. Let that go. Forget that. But at the time, um, you know, do I belong here? And is this, you know, there's all these smart people here. And and we were asked to write on the post-it note, the gift that we brought to the program. And I wanted to write love on the post-it note. And the environments that I've been taught in told me, this is my own self-talk, you know, that doesn't belong here. People will think that you're not serious or that you're all floofy and fluffy and um, and that that just wasn't something that that belonged there. I never did write love on the post-it note then, but I try to as often as I can ever since and say um, that not only does love belong in leadership, not only does love belong in um, in academia or in the work environment, but if we're not showing up with love or deep care, if you prefer, um, if we're not showing up with love or deep care, um, then I don't know that we have any business leading. And if we're not showing up with love and deep care in the work that we're doing in our businesses, then, um, you know, are we, are, what are we doing? Does that, I don't know if that. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and Brooke, I want to come to you now. To what extent are you seeing this kind of reframing uh, the, the conversations about bringing our whole selves, recognizing that within the office? Are you seeing that in the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can definitely relate to that, Tara, because um, I think, you know, I went through business school. So, you know, I'm a corporate tax partner. So it's a very structured, you know, you go through university and I'm, I'm going to do this and there's steps to get there. And I feel that um, as I was going through that training, it always felt that I was trying to fit in because, you know, being a little bit on the outside, I'm in a minority group as a woman. Um, 
I always, I, I do remember like coming into a situation, trying to figure out, okay, what are they expecting from me? What are they expecting me to say? And so it was always me changing myself to fit the norm that was there. And I do, and what really opened up to me um, where I felt more like a leader that I could bring my own style is that because I was different and because I represent, you know, myself and all the different parts of myself, but that could resonate with a lot of different groups that, you know, my difference of opinion and view is, is what is valuable here instead of how can I conform to be like everyone else? Actually, I bring a different perspective because of who I am. And, you know, and I think that that narrative has really come out in the pandemic, to be honest, like, you know, being, um, you know, a, a kind of quieter woman, I suppose. Um, I was really inspired by um, Bonnie Henry, um, like kind of her leadership throughout the pandemic and, and just that care and recognition of how people are feeling. Um, and, you know, I would say love like that, that you can feel that deep um, authenticity from her. I think that really resonated with me in that I didn't have to be this loud, you know, boisterous kind of um, eloquent speaker, but really being authentic to who you are, um, showing that you care, showing that um, you're being authentic, um, really resonates uh, with, you know, the, the world today. And, uh, and I definitely see that changing in greater society, but um, also in, in corporations as well. I think it takes an element of bravery to bring your whole self to work, especially in climates where that maybe hasn't been the case. So maybe it's unfamiliar to colleagues. I see you both nodding. Uh, Tira, how can leaders of organizations create a space where colleagues feel comfortable bringing love or talking about love or bringing their whole selves to a workplace? Well, just, I suppose the same in, in everything else is, um, you know, giving it some space, amplifying it to say, you know, how do we, how do we really honor the whole human that is really, um, you know, bringing, we spend more time at work than we do anywhere else. So, you know, thinking about how do I really honor this human that is, that we're so blessed that this is where they choose to, to spend their time and their, and their contribution. And so, and how do, so when we see it, how do we celebrate it? Right? How do we uh, bring our own whole selves to the work um, to show that it's okay uh, to do that and to, you know, talk about feelings and, um, you know, we have, you know, being able to even just practice, you know, a check-in that has, a, you know, two words about how you're feeling in this moment and as a way to open and close in ultra modified ceremony, you know, just to have those uh, connections to simply, you know, ask people, how are you? You know, and the other thing I try and model, which makes people so uncomfortable um, is we, in our um, polite mediocrity um, uh, here, especially in Canada, how are you? Good. How are you? Oh, excellent. And sometimes I will actually share how I'm doing. So, and it surprises people and sometimes can make people quite uncomfortable to say, actually, I'm having like a really terrible day and uh, um, I'm having a hard day, you know, and people are like, oh my goodness. Um, so that we aren't having to pretend all the time that everything is uh, perfect because it's not. 
No, I mean, I've been guilty of that. I'm sure many listeners have been guilty of that too, before you even have the time to think about how you are, you just respond with good. But, you know, I think being open and honest can give others permission to do the same too, creates a conversation that's maybe more honest. Of course. Brooke, I'm curious, you mentioned uh, the pandemic in your remarks a little bit earlier. Do you think that the pandemic has caused leaders to maybe be more open to having these check-ins, to discussing mental health and well-being more generally, and to embracing discussions about how we truly are? Absolutely, because I think that um, what I've noticed throughout the pandemic is, uh, you know, before you, especially in the workplace, you'd sort of have these set built-in structures that you didn't really realize that you had before, like you would commute into the office and that's actually a nice transition point. And you would have the social, you know, around the coffee room, casual chats. And and I didn't really, and micro breaks as well. And I didn't really notice the impact until it was all gone. And um, so I think that the pandemic really heightened the importance of um, mental health and wellness. And as you know, because working from home is one thing, but the pandemic on top of that and the worry of all of the different things of that um, lead into that uh, makes a big impact on your own um, health and well-being. So um, so absolutely. I, I definitely think that leaders having to take care of their teams um, and vice versa, just being it in together actually opens up a dialogue as well. Like, you know, nobody had a playbook for what to do. So um, I think it's a nice leveling point to talk about um, how things are, are going for yourself and, um, and just really heightening how that um, interplays with your team. Mm-hmm. So, um, so similar to what you were saying, Tara, like um, leading by example. And so like the example you set by how you, how you speak in meetings, how you care about each other, I think that creates the culture that you know, really permeates um, throughout making making it safe to be yourself at work and um you know it's interesting i see like the and and with all of these topics of the impact of 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 the pandemic i see the pandemic requiring us to be more innovative than ever and then actually being able to break ourselves out of systems that are no longer serving us. Um, And so being able to be more innovative than ever. I see mental health um, deteriorating so significantly and also seeing the amplifying of the importance of mental health. And, you know, when it comes to humanity, I mean, I think that on the and, and um, the uh, COVID has really, Uh, shaken, I'll speak for myself, shaken my um, view of humanity. And at the same time, it has actually forced us to see each other as human beings. You know, I was talking on the phone uh, during kind of the height of the pandemic with, you know, somebody very important that would normally be very uh, proper. And, you know, he said, I'm sorry, but I'm literally hiding in the closet at home from my three kids to try and take this call, right? So it's offered us a a space to really allow ourselves to be human, to see the cats and the dogs and the kids and the barking and the, you know, and to be like, that's okay. It's all, it's, it's all welcome. And then, you know, from an equity justice lens, this is the privilege pandemic. You know, it has 
uh, amplified uh, and created even greater um, gaps um, and heightened uh, privileges and certainly aware of many of my my own privileges. And so in the one context, you know, that's just uncovered stuff that was already there. It's just made it more visible. Um, but the hope is, is that in that we can actually um, sit with it and do something uh, uh, different uh, with it and create systems that work for uh, everybody. That's a great point. You're thinking, what's the new equation? It's about building trust and delivering sustained outcomes that make change for today and tomorrow. And uh, maybe I'll come to both of you on this, starting with you, Tira. This feels like an opportunity. There's been so much disruption. There's an opportunity to tear down and rebuild and recenter on things that matter. How do we do that? How do we ensure we don't just snap back to these systems that haven't necessarily been serving us as people and as organizations? So uh, critically important, this is a gift. Like when everything is kind of uh, broken around us, then, you know, in my language, we have an opportunity to re, uh, reimagine, uh, rematriate and rebuild uh, systems that center on equity and sustainability. And um, that just comes from your great word disruption, disrupt, disrupt, disrupt. And because in a minute, in a minute, all these systems will rebuild themselves in the exact same way by the exact same people that built the systems in the first place. It requires huge interventions, meaningful, intentional, deliberate interventions right now to do something differently. And so I say, you know, I'll say it again, reimagine, rematriate, and rebuild um, systems that center on equity and sustainability for the next seven uh, generations. And so how do we do that? in every conversation, in every meeting, in every project, and just keep finding the millions of different ways there are to say, who's not at, who's not in this conversation that, that should be? How do I step into decolonizing practices today? How will I, um, you know, engage Indigenous um, uh, sovereignty in the work that I'm doing? And um, how do I love and honor the wholeness of um, people, especially those that may be different than me. Mm -hmm. Brooke, same question to you. Maybe I'll tweak it a little bit. Share with us some of the conversations you're having now with companies about ESG and EDI. Yeah, absolutely. Well, especially like ESG, just meaning that there's a heightened awareness that we all have to pitch in to, you know, deal with the world that's falling apart, you know, um, the environmental issues, but the social and justice issues that um, Tara had mentioned. So um, really, it comes down to what's what's of concern and material to uh, the company's uh, wider stakeholder group. So a lot of it is around, um, I, I, I see a trend being more about um, about data because it's it's got to be more than just oh this is what I think we need to fix it's it's more understanding you know um, the employee base um, the kind of the issues that that they're grappling with and and that doesn't always come out to the surface especially if your systems aren't um, designed to catch it so you need to again be very intentional in in what you're trying to solve for um, and a lot of times that's culture 
So it's it's kind of building that um, underlying culture, not partly in the day-to-day, -day, but in the systems as well. Like what are you compensating and rewarding your employees for? Um, what sort of things are they spending their time in that they really enjoy? And I think there's a heightened um, demand, like, you know, We've got um, discussions on the great resignation. Come, um, employees and just the world in general really want to feel like they, they are making a difference um, in terms of social justice. And so that's a key differentiating factor in you know, how you're building your culture, how you're creating your structure, um, how you're going, being transparent and how you're going about it and being willing to be humble to say, okay, I, I realize we've got it wrong. We've got to pivot and um, kind of that continuous feedback loop as well. Um, so, so I think it's, it's, it's at all levels. It, it's kind of, kind of come from the bottom up and then as well with the commitment at sort of from top executives down and then also kind of 360 in, you know, other stakeholders that, that you're, um, that are important um, in that, in that mix as well. And sort of what I'm hearing there, Brooke, it's all good and well to say the things we're supposed to say or have good intentions. But if you don't really understand the problem or the systems that are enabling a certain culture, it's going to be very hard to change. Steps need to be taken. Yeah. And, you know, for example, at PDVC, I, I do think there's a high, uh, larger focus on our employee network groups because that's sort of that grassroots um, discussion on, you know, what, what are the key instances that are important to them? And, um, and the intersectionality of that, because, you know, the other thing, too, is um, some of those issues are cross-sectional uh, in different employee network groups and, and kind of having that listening ear and understanding um, what some of those issues are. Like, that's actually your best advertisement. Like, you know, if your employees love working for you and um, you're creating that culture, that, that actually just leads to better people and better outcomes. And, and you know, it's just the right place to invest. I want to talk for a moment about exclusion. And Tira, you mentioned that you've shed the term imposter syndrome. And before we hit record today, we had a conversation about your title and how it's not CEO, it's lead executive. Can you share a little bit about why you've made these changes and why you're maybe consciously excluding certain terms? So I'm doing my own work around uh, power and privilege and examining, um, you know, different segments of privilege and my relationship with those uh, segments and, and, um, and doing some teaching on that, uh, on that work. I think I'm doing more learning than, than teaching, but, um, and so uh, before it was, you know, when your email comes up uh, and you just see a little bit of it and you would just see a bit of my signature and I would see the word chief and I'm like, why am I calling myself a chief? It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. And so my daughter and I had had a conversation for a long time about that, you know, connecting that back with the power and privilege work. I'm actually examining almost all the words that I use. Where are those coming from? What do they actually mean? Is there, you know, racist, ableist, white supremacist um, uh, undertones or origins to those words? And um, and so. Uh, my good friend, Catherine Room, wrote an uh, article around her switch to LEO, Lead Executive Officer. So I went with that for a while. I was like, yeah, that's good, Catherine. I'm going to do that also. And then I couldn't figure out why I was calling myself an officer. I'm like, why? what, I'm, what am I an officer of? Like, that's weird. I don't know. And so um, the point being, how are we, um, how are we just being super aware of ourselves and the world around us and language 
really matters. Mm -hmm. It really does. And not to get too granular here, but I think this is really important. How do you practice mindfulness around this? We use language constantly and it can be difficult to pause and reflect when we're communicating so frequently on the words that we're using. Do you have a practice? Do you journal? Do you record yourself? What are some steps you're taking? Um, I make awkward pauses all the time because I'll say something and then I'll be like, what does that mean actually? And I'll actually have really awkward pauses when I'm talking to people or even when I'm articulating or now, even when I'm speaking, if I say something and I'm like, Oh, hang on. And then I'll just actually make the implicit, whatever's going on inside explicit to say, you know, I'm not sure why I'm using those words, but something about that does, doesn't feel, doesn't feel right to me. So give me a second while I think about another way of saying what I'm truly intending and just be taking the time to, uh, to actually uh, do that and just having it be part of the daily, the daily uh, practice and also noticing the kinds of language other people are using. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I think uh, this is very interesting. I'm sure listeners are maybe wondering, Oh, how, how can I start practicing mindfulness around this? I'll, I'll share one other thing. Um, so I've been very specifically working um, with my relationship uh, with uh, privilege in the ableism um, uh, segment. And so I've asked people to say, I'm really for you know, the next 30 days, Jason Ford invites us to do a, a, um, a privilege pledge where we look at one of the dimensions of privilege for 30 days and examine our relationship and our language with it. And so I've also said to people, you know, I'm really uh, looking at um, uh, this and if I say anything that seems uh, like you don't know what it means or it is um, problematic, uh, will you let me know? Hmm. And I've also asked permission of others um, in a recent uh, project environment to say, you know, I'm working on uh, power and privilege, my relationship with it, very specifically around the language that I'm using. If I notice us using language, um, that is problematic, that we're likely completely unaware of it. Is it all right if I bring it into to light so that we can notice more often the language that we're using? Thank you for sharing that. That's a, a great way to start a conversation. Brooke, what are you seeing in this space? Are you having conversations about conversations? Yeah, and I I should say too I I love that Tara because um it it calls into like kind of highlights you know the importance of language and and kind of because you're right there there is a lot of language that you don't think about because it's just used in general conversation that you know you're you're quickly trying to fix in your head okay well I say this when I mean this and a lot of the colloquialisms and you know. Um, uh, like pop culture even sayings and and not recognizing sometimes that doesn't mean anything to someone who doesn't come from here as well and they don't have that context so i'm um, calling it into light and then actually giving permission for others to do the same i think that's that's a great practice and, and i'll oh sorry please go ahead just how often we use mental illness as metaphor, how often we use addiction as metaphor, how often we use, um, uh, you know, the uh, 
ableism as metaphor, how often we say um, our blind spots, that's crazy, that's insane, you know, uh, all of these ways in which we've just come to express ourselves that are, um, that are hurtful. Yeah, yeah. And it, and I never noticed it too until someone pointed it out, but, um, but warfare as well, like, you know, boots on the ground and, you know, kind of the, um, you know, we're going to kill it, you know, those sorts, that sort of language also is comes from aggression and, um, you know, through without the lack of love. And so not, um, and, and not realizing that until it's pointed out. So I think that is really powerful. And so it, it comes down to, I think, exactly that. Um, number one, in conversation, um, I think that's that's very uh, cultural. And so the more that you see that others are doing that, I think the more you can encourage others to do the same, but also in your um, your policies and, you know, sort of the written vernacular, which I think that we've been very careful because we are a larger organization, but sometimes that can seep into like job descriptions and, you know, how um, feedback is written. And, you know, I, I think having that lens as well um, adds a lot. And, and for those, when you talk about it being very intentional on why you're changing the language, um, I, I think adds that much more to the conversation. In the final minutes we have left, I'd like to put this to each of you, something you'll be reflecting on or thinking about in 2022 as we emerge from the pandemic to what will no doubt be a, a different version of reality. We've had a lot of thought-provoking ideas shared here so far, but anything else you'd like to add? Brooke, I'll start with you because you're unmuted. Sure, no, that sounds good. Um, I'm really concerned. So right now, a lot of us have been um, working from home. So, you know, it's a lot of great things in that there's a level more level playing field. So I, I think one thing that I'm really going to be considering in 2022 is how to make sure that um, we create that equity and inclusion when we become hybrid. So not to exclude those who um, might be at home more, um, making sure that um, those processes as we're changing the way we're working, um, really make sure that everyone's included, no matter what. Thank you. And Tira, what are you going to be considering this year? Um, so with the Square Air, we're very much focused on, um, um, you know, just disrupting all those systems. And um, in particular, decolonize disrupting, decolonizing and decarbonizing our skies for the next seven generations. Um, because we have to start uh, and keep making our decisions with the next seven generations in mind, or all of what we're doing is, um, I would question the meaningfulness of it if we're not actually looking to a sustainable future. Wonderful. Tira and Brooke, thank you both so much for joining us on our Women in Leadership podcast. It was great to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Our guests today were Tira Fraser, the founder and lead executive of Esqueo Air, and Brooke Coe, tax partner and BC Region Inclusion and Diversity Leader for PwC Canada. You've been listening to or watching our Women in Leadership podcast and vodcast series sponsored by PwC. Other episodes are available at BIV.com slash audio or slash video. I'm Haley Wooden, Executive Editor of Business in Vancouver. Thanks so much for joining us and make sure to check out the other episodes 
episodes that form part of our Women in Leadership series. 